In a few moments, I'm going to have you turn to Acts chapter 13. That's where we're going to be today. We are in a Sunday morning series on the book of Acts. Last year sometime, uh, when I was asking the Lord about the next series for our church family, um, I felt the Lord was leading me to preach through this series. And um, really, the, I, I just want to know what the Lord has for us here, but also had this thought that, you know, Eastland, um, we could do better at outreach and evangelism. And that's something that in the Christian life we all have to continue to work on. And it needs to be probably a brighter fabric in the thread of the garment that is our church. And I just want to see us grow in this area. I want to see us be concerned about people. We're doing a great job. But I want us to continue to have that as part of the heartbeat of our church where we care about souls. We want to see people saved. And want to be a part of sharing the gospel with others and seeing lives change. And so today we see another way that we can be a part in that. So if you go ahead and stand with me, we'll look into this 13th chapter of the book of Acts. Of course, written by Luke, the physician who accompanied Paul. And also um, was just a, a man who wanted to see these same purposes fulfilled. We'll read the first 13 verses together, and I'll pray. You can be seated. The Bible says, Now there was, or there were, in the church that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and then Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And so they've already been called to this work, but now the Lord's bringing this calling into practice. And when they had fasted and prayed, and the idea is again, and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, making this clear, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they reached the word of, or they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John, this is John Mark, to their minister. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer. Uh, other words, the place in the New Testament this is called Magi, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, also Bar-Jesus, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy or the governor from the faith. And then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him, the sorcerer, and said, O full of subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, or the governor, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, or John Mark, departed from them 
and returned to Jerusalem. Our Holy Father, we thank You for this day. And Lord, our time together I think has already been helpful and encouraging and a blessing. Thank You for the music. Lord, thank You for the participation of this church, Lord, in singing to You and Your praises. And Lord, now as we together look into Your Word, Lord, this text, I, I pray, Lord, we'd glean from it what You intended. Lord, thank You for preserving this history and this truth for us, Lord, for our emulation and practice. And Lord, that's what we look for today. We look for appropriation of Your Word in our lives. And so I pray You'd help, you, help us with that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being willing to stand like that. It has been said that there are three types of people in the world, painting in very broad category. They're the kind of people that make things happen. And I talk about those kind of people all the time. There's always those who make sure things get done. And those kind of people we might call the doers. They are the makers of things. They, they get things done. There's a second category of people, others who watch things happen. And we call these the spectators. And there are always a number of people who watch those who do the work. And then number three, there are still others who are left wondering what just happened. And with a smile on my face, we might call these people the clueless. Well, what is true of individuals, I think maybe in broad categories, could also be said of churches. There are some churches that are dynamic. They are happy. They are alive. They are seeing a work for God done in their midst and outside their walls. They, they, they are living for the Lord. They're trying to make a difference. They are impactful. They are the doers. And then there are congregations and churches that are in maintenance mode. The thing that they do is just try to meet every Sunday. They try to maintain their numbers. They're just kind of going through the motions. I'm not trying to be unkind or, or, or whatever else. I'm just saying there's kind of churches that just sort of exist. And then there are some that probably make no difference at all, maybe in decline and worried too much about on the inside, not worried about the outside. But in Acts chapters 11 and 13, we're introduced to a church and its leadership that God used in a great way to make things happen. The church at Antioch was a church of doers. These were people who had a heart for the Lord and were able to get things done for Him. Of course, Antioch was the first beachhead into the pagan world, um, established really by those fleeing after the stoning of Stephen and the ensuing persecution. Uh, the believers there fleeing from Jerusalem, many found their way to Antioch, which by the way would have been uh, southern Turkey for our purposes in the modern day world. And, and they left they fled, but when they left, they took the gospel with them. And they declared the gospel, as it had been in Jerusalem, throughout Antioch, and many people were saved, a great host of both Jews and Gentiles. But we see really for the first time in great number Gentiles being saved in Antioch. There's a great need there because the number of people that were saved and those who needed to be made disciples. And so Barnabas, who was ever the encourager and helper, knew that he needed help having been sent there from the church in Jerusalem. He knew and remembered a guy who was in Tarsus. And he sent for him. And his name was Saul, often now referred to going forward as Paul. That would have been his, the, the Roman reference of his name and how he's referenced going forward. But he sent for Paul. And this team of Barnabas and Paul together labored in this city of Antioch for a year, establishing the church there. And they, they gave their lives, making a great difference to establish this church. In Antioch is where the Christians, or I guess I should say believers, were first called Christians. It was probably a word of derision 
but they wore it as a label and a badge of loyalty to Christ as those who are like their Savior. Well, the church at Antioch quickly developed a great team. And they had a great start, but now they had a great ongoing, and they developed a great team. And the Bible mentions these men to us. Of course, there's Paul from Tarsus, again, a region in Turkey, which would have had a, a large Jewish population. There was Barnabas, who grew up in Cyprus. He was a Levite there, and he was a man willing to share his goods with the church, what he had done numbers of times. And, and of course, he was a great leader in the early church. There was Simeon and Lucius. Uh, also known as Niger, and they were from a place called Cyrene, most likely from North Africa. And, and so we're beginning to see a, a kind of a plurality and a diversity of leadership here in the church at Antioch. And then a man named Menaean, this is fascinating, he's a Jew. And he's also basically called someone who was raised and born up um, in, in the same home as Herod. Now, this is interesting. That word raised up basically means stepbrother. And it could also refer to a fellow prince. But this is interesting, the tale of two men. One man goes on to have a part in persecuting Jesus in the early church, Herod. And the other man becomes a great leader in the early church. And that's just a testament to the difference that Lord Jesus Christ can make in a man's life. Um, and, and the difference he could make in, in our lives. But these are the five men mentioned as great leaders in this early church of Antioch. These five served as teachers and prophets. They were involved in education and proclamation, pedagogy, and in directives of how to serve the Lord. And as these men, and no doubt probably many, many others, were ministering to the Lord. And I think that's interesting. They were ministering to other people, but they first ministered to the Lord. They, they made sure that their attention was focused on God. As these people were worshiping the Lord during a time of prayer and fasting, through a mechanism not fully disclosed to us in the text, the Lord spoke to these men and said, Separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I've called them to do. Now we can go back to Acts chapter 9, verse 15, I believe. And that's where uh, the Lord had already called Paul to be an, uh, an apostle to the Gentiles. And, and so God is now separating these two men for a special work. Uh, the idea of separate me um, would be the word like a fence. Like up here on the pulpit, if you look up here, there's this carpet up here that kind of goes around the platform. And it's, it's sort of a boundary. And that's what the word separate means. It means to kind of put a boundary around uh, this thing, or in this case, these men. I have a special purpose for them. Mark them out. Set them aside. And the idea of release them unto me for this special purpose. As I mentioned, God already had called them to ministry in a special way. And now God was fulfilling and putting that plan in motion. And included in this group was a man who went to help, John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, who was most likely an eyewitness of Christ and therefore that unique testimony and also just be a helper to these two men whom God had called. And so, uh, these men here that God has called these uh, two guys out. And so, the church begins again to begin to fast and pray for this delegation of three. And it's interesting what they do. There's three things specifically that our text tells us that the early church did through these leadership. Number one, they fasted and prayed. The first thing he did was, God, if you've called these men to this endeavor, I want you to bless them. I want you to help them. Lord, place your hands of provision upon them. Take care of them. Watch over them. They're, they're praying and fasting, fasting, punctuating the emphasis of their prayer. Lord, please bless this men to the task that you called them to do. 
Secondly, they laid their hands on them. Laying their hands on them was, was, was a bit of just a ritual or a rite, but it had great meaning to it. We do this when we ordain someone today. We, we lay their hands upon them, and what we do, we do that. We're, we're blessing them ourselves, but we're also associating with them. We're identifying with them. We're saying, we agree with you and you agree with us. That's why the Bible tells us when Paul talked to Timothy, lay no hands on any man, next word, suddenly. In other words, you need to be sure what you're identifying with. You need to be careful what you're associating with. This is important later in the sermon. This church was associating and identifying with these men because these men were doing something that God had called them to do. And then the Bible says they sent them. And in the Greek, that basically means release them. It was kind of a form of commissioning, but it basically means to relinquish them to the Lord for the thing that He has called them to do. And so the great missionary endeavor begins. These men traveled from Antioch to the port that was near that called Seleucia. And from there, about 60 miles, they were beginning to travel to this island of Cyprus. Now, we know about Cyprus because this is where, where Barnes was from. And it, it's a logical choice to launch out this missionary endeavor. Number one, it was in proximity to the city they were in, Antioch, about 60 miles away. Cyprus about 90 miles wide, or long by about 10 miles wide. It had many chief cities, many Gentiles were there. And there's also a Jewish population, as we've read here. It's the third largest isle in the Mediterranean. And, and so for all these reasons, as I mentioned, because this is where Barnabas was from. It would have been his stomping grounds. He'd been familiar with the people, the customs, and the city. And so this is the place that they go. And they sail there, and they land at the first port. And then they do what Paul often did in every new city he went to. Um, he, for the love of his countrymen, he found the synagogue, and he began to preach the gospel to the Jews. We don't know if men were saved or not, but that's what he did. And so from there they begin to declare the gospel throughout the island. In time, they traveled to the other side of the island to a place called Paphos. And this was more the royal city. This was the governor city. This was the seat of Roman authority on the isle. This was a provincial place, a place where there'd been like a, a Roman senator here. Sergius Paulus was a Roman governor. So now we see a shift from really speaking to the Jews and really going forth the whole book of Acts, the remaining chapter of the book of Acts, we, we, we see this focus on the Gentiles and really making their way towards Rome. This was ruled by a man named Sergius Paulus. The Bible calls him a prudent man, meaning he was wise, he was intelligent, um, he had some savvy about him. And so this governor of this city, Paphos, um, probably had heard stories about the preaching and teaching of Paul and Barnabas from the other side of the island. And this began to, to filter, and, and there very well could have been miracles done there, and great stories, and, and maybe people being led to the Lord. And so this man has an interest in what they have to say. And so he calls them for an audience, which is, man, what a great thing to happen. The Lord is opening doors. But there's also another truth about um, this circumstance. As rulers often did, and every wise man does, he circums himself around with counselors. And so Sergius Paulus had done this. Um, and in that day, many rulers surrounded themselves with what we call magi. 
Um, here he's called a sorcerer, and that was because of the outworking of the way he applied his special knowledge. But the Greek term is magi. It's the same term we use for the three uh, wise men who sought for Jesus at his birth. So this kind of guy. Magi in this day were very well educated. Uh, they're probably more educated than the average man. They studied astronomy. And so they understood signs and seasons in the sky in a special way. They also had part in the occult, many of them. And so because of that, they probably had some special uh, powers that a man probably ought not have. And, and they could interpret dreams and made predictions. And so you could see why, from a pagan's perspective, Sergius Paulus warned a man like Elymas or Bar-Jesus, a part of his council, because he thought he could interpret his dreams and help him in special ways. But we've got a problem or a roadblock. Um, this is the nature of, of humanity. Sergius Paulus is the governor. Um, Elymas, you know, had his ear. He was uh, someone who gave advice. And all of a sudden, he hears about Paul and Barnabas coming. This man evidently knew enough of the gospel that if Sergius Paulus was saved, he may stop having so much um, dependence upon him. It's like, I don't want this to happen. So he opposed them. And I don't know how he opposed them necessarily. I don't know if he thwarted their words, if he tried to keep them from, from, from coming. But in some way, this man uh, urged the Apostle Paul in a righteous indignation. And the Bible tells us that this was of the Lord. And uh, Paul um, <coughs> curses the man. It's, I call this a, a negative miracle. Paul was aggravated by this, and he pronounced what I call a miracle of cursing, much like Peter did on Ananias and Sapphira. And the Bible says he struck blind. And uh, this had a bigger purpose than just a negative consequence for Elymas. Sergius Paulus, who saw this, now he'd already heard the words of Paul and Barnabas, so he, he sees words coupled with power indeed, and the Bible says he believes. And so we believe that most likely Sergius Paulus was a saved man. And there's some historical evidence that tells us that a grandson of his goes on to be a Roman senator in time, having an influence in Christ in that city years later. And so what a, what a way to begin this ministry into this, this aisle. The text concludes with this. Paul and Barnabas um, leave in time for Galatia. And for reasons we are not told, John Mark uh, retreats back to Jerusalem. This leaves an indelible mark in the Apostle Paul's mind. And he doesn't trust John Mark for quite a long time. He finally comes around and the missionary journey uh, continues. As a matter of fact, guys, you have that slide. I don't show many slides, but just so you have a, a feeling for what's going on. You guys have like the first one. Okay, so there, we have a feel for what's happening here. Um, so... Jerusalem, which I would show you, it's further down under the number 50 quite a ways. And so Antioch there would represent the, the end or the bottom part of Turkey. And so they sailed from Seleucia, port near Antioch, to Salamis, a port city in Cyprus, traveled to Paphos, and then they traveled up to Pamphylia, which is a region in Galatia. Now look at for a second. All of this today is modern Turkey. This is just all modern Turkey. Um, but it sounds big here, but it's all modern Turkey. And, and this has been a, a big distance. This is what we call Paul's first missionary journey. And there would be three, really concluding maybe the fourth to Rome. 
But this is the first one. And for better context, guys, I think I did one more picture. Is that correct? There it is. And that gives you a bigger perspective where you can see um, the Mediterranean Sea there. And then up there is Antioch. But go down quite a bit of ways and you would see Samaria and Jerusalem. And so when the Jews were persecuted in Jerusalem, they fled up to Antioch in Turkey, a safe zone for them at the time. And this would have been represented for the first journey where the book of Galatians would also have special emphasis for us. So that's, that's good, guys. I just want to give you a visual perspective of this very first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul, a commission to send out of the church of Antioch with the blessings from the church of Jerusalem. So the story is interesting, but let's make some application. And I have a couple thoughts here that I want to share with you in the takeaways, which I think is important for us as we read a text. And the first one is this, and this is simple, but I want you to listen to it in terms of evaluating your involvement. And the first thought is this, as a church, and I'm talking about Eastland Baptist Church, and as individuals, and I'm talking to you personally as an individual, we individually and together need to have a vested concern and a high priority in our life to be a part of God's missionary program. That's a lot of words to this. Missions is important. Missions is a big deal. There's a lot of cliches we use this as missions is the heartbeat of God. And there's a lot of words we say here. But scripturally speaking, I want us to understand today that being part of worldwide evangelism, being a part of replicating ourselves in terms of our salvation in the soul of another person is a incredibly big deal and should be a priority for every one of us. If we are going to be called Christians, as the Antioch Christians were, we need to be involved in what they were involved in. And we see here they were concerned because of the Lord's calling with missions. The first and earliest instructions of the Lord Jesus Christ after his resurrection, and by the way, his last words before it, was the Great Commission to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. This Great Commission should be a priority in our lives. Evangelism, concern for souls, should be something that, is, um, that pumps through the blood of our heart. Now, I often talk about what is it that makes up a Christian? What, what should be important to us? And so many people make it about externals and forms and rituals and all these things. And, there, and there's, a, there's a place for some kind of conformity. But the biggest heartbeat of a Christian is what's on the inside that comes on the outside. And that is a concern for other people. It's a concern for people. I want you to think about this for a moment. God's idea for us is that His grace and goodness are not to find their way into vessels that do not pour out into other vessels. I have been the recipient. You have been a recipient of the manifold grace of God. Today, I, I am a sinner saved by grace. I have no fear of death. I'm going to go to heaven one day. I'm going to spend an eternity with my Creator. I'm going to be in, in an incredible environment of blessing and, and happiness and rejoicing. I, I have been rescued from the mires, the depth of an incredible hell and torment. Hey, listen, I have been blessed. And I just can't keep that to myself. Like Paul and Barnabas, the apostles, John, Mark, Philip, Stephen, uh, those who scattered from the Jerusalem church and others, we have to have heart 
and a compassion for others. Jesus has told us repeatedly, lift up our eyes on the harvest. It's widened the harvest. We have to have a concern about other people. We have to have a concern of sharing our faith. The question is, is are you and I having an active, ever-deepening involvement on the missionary program of God? For the sake of time, I won't have you turn there, but Romans chapter 10 is one of the great missionary chapters of the Bible. And it says, how can they hear without a preacher? And how can a preacher go unless he be sent in the same way that happens here? And the idea there's apostolo, not just, not just sent and released, but sustained while they're there. Eastland Baptist Church, we, we have to keep this a priority of our church. Our missions program is a big deal here. It's a significant part of our, of our budget. We, we, we set aside funds solely and singularly for supporting missionaries and church planners and those around the globe who are sharing the gospel. And we need to have a personal part in that as well. The church at Antioch understood this. They were not just consumers of the gospel and the goodness that come with it, but they were appropriators of it. They understood this and they gave themselves. Think about where did the spiritual life from Antioch come from? Well, from believers who fled from Jerusalem. So there's a fire lit here, the scattered here, and they're going to keep the fire going now into Cyprus and into Galatia. And, and, and the subtitle of the message was, would have been this, from there to here. The fires burned all the way to Tulsa, Oklahoma because of this initial missionary endeavor journey. We have the gospel because someone else cared centuries ago. They gave themselves this task. They shared the, the gospel beyond their border. And I want you to think about this. These little things in the text that we run by. This church is new, Antioch. I, I don't know how old now, but Paul and Barnabas were there maybe about a year. <laughs> and God says, hey, I want to take your two best men and take them somewhere else. Now, I have to be really honest with you. If God came to me and said, I want to take Daniel and Andrew, or Andrew and John, or Jesse, you know, I, I, I'd be like, I don't think that's the Lord. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's something else. But that's who the Lord took. And more than that, like he was Paul. And Barnabas, I want those two guys. You know, sometimes the Lord's going to come take our best. And, you know, I, I'll, application, okay, look here. That could be your kids. That could be you. No one here has passed by growing up the age where the Lord couldn't use you somewhere else if He wanted to. We, we put limits. Barton Carter, who you know, was a missionary, didn't go until his late 30s, maybe like 40. And the Lord used him in an incredible way. He was a truck driver before that. And to start churches in the Philippines, there's over 100 churches he had a part in starting, the Navajo Reservation. I'm just saying, the Lord sometimes might come and ask for something that we're not, we're all prepared about. But we need to have a heart for that. The, the principle could be this. We need to be moved to the point of sacrifice to share what we have so that other people can be saved. That means we may have to send people. Okay, that means you ought to give dollars. I'm not strong-arming you, but why would you not want to be a part of God's missionary enterprise? You should give time. 
You should give prayer. When we have outreach, you should be a part. We have tracks when you leave today. Take one of them. It has the gospel on them. Give that to someone. Minimally find a way to make missions and evangelism and lost souls a priority in your life. That should be the fabric of our Christian life. And we should give ourselves to this. And that's what this early church did. Number two, very quickly. I, I see this as a, a sub-theme or a, a caveat in the text. I have discovered that direction and opportunity for churches and individuals typically comes and can be found when you're seeking for it. <laughs> I, I can use a lot of words to say something really simple. You find what you're looking for. And sometimes we don't always have direction. We don't always find opportunity. We don't know what to do because we're not asking God for help in finding those things. See, the story of our text begins. How does the story begin? The church is simply praying. And they love the Lord enough that they're, 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 they're emphasizing their prayer with fasting. And they're just worshiping God. And Lord, what would you have us do? Lord, how are we going to serve you? And out of that heart, out of those, that seeking and that prayer, God shows up and says, I'll tell you what I want you to do. You're going to be the church that really propels this missionary endeavor around the world. And that's born out of that. This story begins the church praying and fasting. They're worshiping God. They, they may not know we're seeking Him in a specific way, but God reveals Himself to those who seek Him. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, the Bible says. I think we understand this today. This is elemental preaching this morning. We all know and understand that prayer is an indispensable element of the Christian life. All of us could pray more. It's supposed to be a part of our lives the same way Bible reading is, the same way that coming to church is, and, and more. It should be part of the daily fabric of our lives. Men should pray more. Prayer, it's a privilege. It's a chance for you to go for the throne room of God and talk to Him. It's an opportunity to approach that throne and worship adoration. It's a place and time you go and seek His help where things can be accomplished. The hand of God is moved. It's a place that strengthens the inner life. It's the place that puts us in communion with God. It's the place we can pour out our, our heart to God for solace and help and strength. It's the place where we discover wisdom. If we have not, we should ask. It's the place where we can get direction. It's the place where we can petition God for our daily needs. The point is, our life is diminished. Our purpose probably fully unreached if we don't pray and ask God to lead and guide us, gives opportunities, and to help us. And fasting? Fasting is just an earnestness in prayer. It's an explanation point on it. Like, you can pray, and then you want to fast and pray? That captures the heart and the attention of God. In Isaiah 58, it talks about with those who earnestly seek God and they give themselves to prayer. That, that, that's where the bands of life can be loosed. That things can break forth in your life and the life of others. It doesn't always have to be for us. There may be a family member, someone you know, care about who needs to be saved, who, who needs to be helped. What a greater ministry can we give than to fast and pray for someone like that. To be genuine change agents for good in the life of somebody else by giving it ourselves to this devotion and grace. It's, a, it's an expression of the genuineness of heart. Many of us probably have never fasted, but you should. 
I, I can't promise you it will add any spiritual depth to you, but I, I'll tell you this, it probably won't hurt. And if you do it right, you might be amazed at the depth of intimacy you'll discover with the Lord and the changes that God might bring about. And, and look here, if something is in your life is worth worrying about, it might be worth fasting about. Why not just replace those two things and see what the Lord, Lord might do to seek His help and guidance? And then thirdly, we need to join ourselves to what the Lord is doing. We need to join ourselves to what God is doing. In Antioch we see this truth and principle. So what is God doing? Well, these people are worshiping Him and God says, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call it these two guys for a special purpose. And, and uh, this is where the great missionary endeavor of evangelizing the world kind of starts in a way in earnest, in a, maybe a more organized way. The church at Antioch didn't call Paul and Barnabas. Okay? Everybody look at verse second. The church didn't call them. God did. And the church let them go, but the Lord sent them. So it's a fatherly moment here. I am sometimes concerned the way that men behind this pulpit or speakers at different conferences, perhaps even Bible colleges, can push and press too hard for young people to spend their life to ministry. Okay, look here. God calls people, not a pastor or a church. I'm not against encouraging people to serve the Lord, but look here. There's not a person in this room who's a Christian who's not supposed to be in full-time Christian service. And that's, this is all screwed up, the way we talk about this. Yes, I serve in vocational ministry, but I think I can say with some authenticity, I was fully serving the Lord before I became this. And those who knew me then would know that. Okay, I think wherever you're at in life, you're supposed to be a full-time Christian servant. And I, I just, I think this. It's true in my life. It's been true of almost everyone I know. If uh, your heart is open and it's soft and God speaks, you'll figure it out. And you don't need people pushing you there. And there's way too many people standing behind pulpits like this who probably ought not be there. Uh, that's for free. Um, it's in my notes, so it's not that free. I know the application, many are called, but few are chosen, and that's probably, you know, true in the ministry. I just want to say this. There are some young men here who I know are struggling with the ministry. Um, the person you need to talk to that is the Lord. Now, I'm all about being encouragement to you, but I also want you to be careful and thoughtful. You have an open heart and a willing spirit. And by the way, that goes for people way beyond their teenage years. I didn't get called to ministry until I was 32. And biblically, that's how lots of people were called when they were older. I don't know how old Timothy was, but you know, he may not have been 16 to 18. You seem to have an open heart. Even the Barton Carters of a church. Those of you in your 30s and 40s need to be sensitive to what the Lord may have you do. I promise you God will find you. Here's the point. God birthed these things. In my heart, in another's heart, and the church recognizes it. That's what's happening here. Paul calls Barnabas and Saul, and the church 
course, they heard the voice of God somehow, and they go like, ah, if God's in this, I'm going to be in this. And so that's why they laid their hands on them. If this is what God's doing, this is what I want to be a part of. They were partnering with them. And there's great evidence that they supported them going forward. Hey, church family, there is probably nothing more exciting in this world than being a part of what God is doing. And I don't know how it's going to play out. I'm just telling you, there is nothing more thrilling and exciting um, than being a part of what God is doing. And sometimes that special waves that God brings up. And sometimes it's just, it's what we do here every Sunday. To be a part of what God's doing here at Eastland Baptist Church. To be a part of what God's doing, you know, through our ministry and our outreach. I know this, God's missionary program is something that He is doing. And you should want to be a part of that. You should want to lay your hands on that. You should want to be a part of what God is doing. We support missionaries all over this globe. We support church planters. We support those who are taking the gospel. We invest a great deal of money into outreach here. That's why we have tracks and we send out community newsletters and flyers and we have billboards. We're trying. And you should have some skin in that game. Christian. Because that's what Christians do. They have skin in the game. And so today that's my encouragement. The simple thought. Are you part of, the God, of what God is doing? If you're not tithing and giving, you should. And yes, it'll support part of the ministry here. It keeps the lights on. But the people who provided lunch and dinner for the Apostle Paul have some part in the souls he won to Christ. You want stock? Put stock here. You put stock here. Be a part of what the Lord is doing. Personally. And we're going to together as a church. And, and then the aside. If there's something in your life that is concerning, I want to tell you when people fast and pray, God pays attention. And maybe you need to give yourself to that. You may find clarity and direction like you never found before. We probably need to do this as a corporate body sometime in the next year. Just, Lord, what do you want from Eastland Baptist Church? What do you want us to do? What mark do you want us to make? There may be some really cool, unyet known mission he has for us. And maybe for you too. But you may only find it if you fast and pray. So let me ask you to stand today if you would.